and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, man? Uh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I am really itching to play some Street Fighter, but it can wait. You sound a bit tired. What's, what's going on? I'm always tired, 100% of the time. So. Yeah, I think that's adulthood. Yeah, I agree with that statement. I'm surprised you're not always <laughs> tired. You have a kid. You kind of get past that point, and you just kind of enter the zombie-like state. <laughs> I'll take your word caffeine. for it. Oh, caffeine, obviously. I mean, I did have a Red Bull this morning to get the, the, the brain flowing. So. I shit'll destroy your kidneys. Yeah, I'm trying to cut back. I only drink like a couple a week, so just usually on the days that it really hurt, or that I really need to get up. Yeah, Ah. Uh. Anyway, how about some positive to talk about? Yeah, uh, this week we're going to continue our theme of Bootober, and we're going to talk about, you know, PG-13, more family-centric Halloween films. I still refuse to accept that name for this particular series of videos, but uh, this sounded like a, um, what was the word? Definitely a better idea uh, to me than our, you know, initial outings. I guess horror movies last week was fine. It's just not a horror movie guy, so I was like, kind of stretching for something to qualify this week's easier yeah this week's a great one you know for those of you that are similar minded but before we do that uh we'd like to talk about our patreons who you know make this show possible they are pam galley uh marky and orion mccann now if you'd like to become a patron just over and over to our patreon page patreon.com slash geeks with shield it only costs you 25 cents an episode and it goes a long way towards helping us with this podcast Plus, you know, you can start making that list longer and see how far Orb will go before he finally decides to start putting it into a series of credits instead of saying it or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I haven't thought about that, but yeah. But on to more fun stuff. Let's talk about, you know, Halloween movies. You know, good movies that are good to show with the family. And maybe you have a childhood connection to. I know that was uh, the case for me with Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. Um. I know that if I tried to sing it right now with this microphone and this recording, it would come out terrible, but I, I, I love that very early thousands like pop punk uh, terror time song. Yes, I still have. I remember bits and pieces of it. Like, it's still lodged in my brain after all these years. Again, I'm not going to sing it so it'll sound terrible, but it's like, <laughs> it's terror time again. They've got you running through the night because it's terror time again and you just might die of fright. And it has this. It's really catchy. <laughs> I'm sure it's on YouTube, and we will be sure to, you know, put it out on uh, our Twitter and Facebook group later. Sure. It's it's one of those songs that actually about a couple months ago, I remember, I haven't watched the movie in years, but a couple months ago I woke up and it was just in my head. And Marquis, who is much more into, like, creepy stuff than I am, I was like, dude, I woke up with the Scooby-Doo zombie song in my head for no reason. Now, admittedly, though, Scooby-Doo has a history of really catchy music. I mean, my favorite Scooby-Doo song is the opening to a pup named Scooby-Doo. <laughs> yeah, that God, twenty some years on, still there. But a as, space. yeah, but as for uh, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, I remember growing up. That was the first time I saw uh, real supernatural stuff in Scooby-Doo. Not counting like Shaggy and the Werewolf, where Dracula and monsters. It was wacky races, but I love that that movie. But yeah, I know I'm not exactly saying anything. Well, first of all, I found that movie to be very boring, but also it was very really? disconnected personally. Yeah, you, you're free to like it. But that movie was also very disconnected from the quote-unquote canon 
of Scooby Doo. Oh, we're going to talk Scooby Doo canon. <laughs> That's why I quote unquoted it. I'm just saying that like Shaggy suddenly becoming a werewolf and and being in a a race with other monsters like that's the kind of stuff that you know if Velma was around for her brain would have exploded. I so, thought you were just going to say, you know, Shaggy's girlfriend that we never saw again. More reasons why that movie is problematic. But besides stuff like that, Scooby Doo and Zombie Island felt like the first serious Scooby Doo thing well, that I remember seeing that had like it wasn't just the guy in a mask it was actual yeah. you know, well do you remember everything. the ad campaign for this i don't remember the ad campaign at all no oh i do because you know this was on cartoon network back in the golden days of cartoon network this is this when they do the thing where like on friday nights they'd play some movies so throughout the week there'd be like little um little ads where it show like the red curtain and it'd be like you know your friday cartoon movie i, I vaguely remember yeah. this they okay. built this one up because they kept going, and this time the monsters are real. And for you know, like Axel said, growing up, Scooby Doo was always a guy in a monster mask. I mean, we always hoped that someday to be a monster, and kind of like you know, Sherlock Holmes, we kind of believed that someday the mystery was going to be real and not just something easily explained. <laughs> so, but you know, kids, this one was awesome. Like, wait, zombies, real monsters? Oh my god. I mean, I may not remember the ad campaign, but I am 100% sure that if that's what the ad campaign was, that I would have saw that ad campaign and been like, yeah, sure. Oh, no, I remember totally being into it. Like, all right, cool. We're really going to get monsters. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure I would have been into it. I'm just saying that I don't think I would have believed the marketing that the monsters were real, right? Because that's always the case with Scooby-Doo. The monsters seem real. Everyone thinks they're real except for Velma and Fred, essentially. And then they find out that they're not real. So it's just like, that was the Scooby-Doo formula. So, Oh, no, I was totally ready to believe. And I was super excited. Like, I remember being counting down the days, waiting for that Friday night movie, getting all excited. Because I wasn't like a huge Scooby-Doo fan as a kid, but I watched it a bunch because it was on. It was interesting. And I kind of like the creepy macabre nature of it. Mm. But so, this movie was awesome. So there's just this guy. Straight up awesome. There's this guy on YouTube, and I can't remember his name right now. Uh, I'll get I'll get Marquis to tell me. I know he's a because he showed me it. Where he'll do like he'll find a series of movies that are related somehow, and he'll review them in like ten words or less. Right? I think it's just called reviews in ten words or less. Like he did it for all the Disney movies, all the Pixar movies, stuff like that. He did it for all the Scooby Doo movies, and I'm pretty sure this was one of the higher ones. Like because he does. I argue from- it's the best of the DV or the straight to DVD run to be fair i haven't watched a lot of the more recent crossover stuff but the ones that came out in this span like scooby-doo and the aliens and that god awful witch one and hey i like the witch one with the hex the witch one is terrible it introduced the world to wiccans and we've never been the same since i don't blame that i don't blame that phenomenon on this movie come on (laughs) that was more i do uh... It it introduced a whole generation to pretentious nature worship except that it kind of the whole point of that movie is that the guy who's the nature worshiping is actually just straight up a warlock and his grandmother was a witch and they were evil. The hex girls more introduced the world to goth, <laughs> which was already introduced plenty of times, but that's, they were more goth than anything else. And so. I still have their stupid songs stuck in my head all these years later. True. More catchy music from the hex girls. Why? Why is that still in there? But no, anyway, anyways, my point, my point being that um, first of all, as far as like best Scooby-Doo movies go, I don't know about best, but I know that there's a really, really so bad it's good one where Scooby-Doo and the gang team up with Kiss, and it's amazing <laughs> because Kiss turned out to be like interdimensional superheroes. <laughs> Makes so, sense. That, that, that yeah. tracks. 
Now, as for this movie that we're talking about, Scooby Doo on Zombie Island, because it you know came out what in the mid aughts, something like that, early aughts. I, I want to say late nineties. Um, I think it was a little late. I think it was past two thousand, just because I remember seeing it. Well, it could be early or it could be late nineties. I don't know. Point is though, it came out. I feel like I was like, a lot younger than that when this came out. All right. Well, it came out around twenty years ago, so it's perfectly plausible. There are plenty of people who haven't seen it, and Scooby Doo, even though is a like a cultural touchstone i think like the the plot's basically pretty simple and that the the gang get i forgot what the reason is for them to go to this like they had split up like again we kind of had i don't know if this inspired the scooby-doo movie that came later or not but they had kind of you know gone their separate ways really i don't remember that go on yeah and they were drawn back together to investigate some mysterious disappearances on this, you know, Louisiana island. That's right. It was in the bayou. Yeah. So already it's got this real kind of creepy feel of it with the swamp and the gators. and Yeah. It's... And then, I, I mean, it's a Scooby-Doo movie, so the plot isn't necessarily that important. But the point is that they're there for a while. They meet a bunch of creepy townspeople who talk about superstitions. And then zombies show up. And they are actual zombies. Like Yeah. I remember like there's sh- a great moment where Fred goes to pull off the mask and the whole head comes. Yeah, it's great because again, there's Scooby Doo. So like, ah, oh, it's a guy in a mask, and then yeah, it's not. And then they have this great little montage of them running from the zombies while that song we mentioned plays, which were legitimately creepy, because you know they had Civil War zombies and pirate zombies and tourist zombies, and they were all drawn really creepily. And as a kid, it worked because they're real. Also, for the record, this movie came out before what we're gonna call. Um, you know the zombie craze right like yeah at this point zombies were you know definitely a thing night of the living dead came out in like 60s or even early like the 40s maybe but it wasn't like there was the what, what would you say like the walking dead is to blame for suddenly zombies being everywhere i think we had a bunch of zombie movies before that i think zombie land represents the peak of the zombie craze okay like, zombie land was what late aughts 2009 2010 i think 2010 all right yeah so this is like at least a decade before you know peak zombie so zombies were still a staple of the horror genre but there wasn't you know let's do zombie games and zombie movies and i want to be a zombie and all this zombie 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 nonsense now funnily enough this now funnily enough this movie doesn't just have zombies it also no because then we get the great twist yeah, well, I don't want to go quite into the twist necessarily, but even in the song, the one of the, the townspeople turns into a cat monster and it's chasing Yeah, a weird cat, a big, creepy-ass weird cat, which yeah. is kind of weird. So for anyone who possibly wants to see this without like spoilers of what is actually going on, stop now, go see it, it's and then Amazon, YouTube, all the streaming services have it to purchase. It's like an hour and 20 minutes. It's a great family film. So I'm going to count to three, and after that three, I expect anyone listening to either not care or I've already seen it. One, two, three. Okay, the twist is that all the zombies are actually basically good guys, like good people who got sacrificed to keep the you know crazy wicked cats, or not wicked, I just Weird the cats. crazy cat witches people, uh, immortal, which was yep. cool. Yeah, no, like it starts, like they're going back to, I think it wasn't the Vikings, was it? Um, no, it was not pirates. that far. It was pirates, yeah, pirates. so it was like 200 years or so. Yeah, because the pirates showed up, and they were all, you know, assholes, so they got sacrificed. And then a Civil War general, you know, he led his people to this plantation for medicine, and they killed and sacrificed them. And they keep drawing people in to be sacrificed and given over to them. 
Which, by the way, it's still a car- yeah, it's still a Cartoon Network movie, so you don't see like killing. But this was the first time. This was definitely the first time in Scooby Doo that like the villains were actual murderers. They had yeah, been this killing isn't a realty scam or smuggling. This is we're gonna murder some people and then bury their bodies in the bayou. Yeah, like it's Scooby Doo, so they managed to keep it light. But when you think about that, like this is a story about essentially crazy magic people who've been killing people for at least two centuries. That's pretty hardcore for Scooby-Doo. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we got this great voodoo scene. I remember, like, they have voodoo dolls of everybody. Oh, yeah. And Scooby makes a joke about playing with, you know, Shaggy's like, Scoob, quit playing with dolls. I do remember that. Mm-hmm. No, this is a solid movie. And I also remember the first time this ran, there was a bunch of, you know, interviews with the cast and crew of Scooby-Doo. Mm-hmm. Do you remember this at all? Um, if I did, I probably only saw the one with like Frank Welker in it. (laughs) No, there's these great scenes. Like one of the things was Shaggy revealed that in every episode of Scooby-Doo, he was wearing a different belt buckle. Hmm. Okay. And this is this weird kernel effect that is stuck with me to this day. And of course they finally answered the question. What happens when uh, Fred and uh, Daphne go off together? Hmm. And there's this great thing like, you know, Fred blushes like, oh, well, you know, we're doing investiga- inv- you know, investigative stuff and whatnot. And Scooby's over in the corner making kissy faces, which as a kid, all this stuff is mind blowing. It's like, wow, this is I'm learning so much about Scooby-Doo and this cult of murder cats. Wasn't there also like this might be my adult brain uh, thinking now that I've seen tons of dark, like actual horror movies and a lot of supernatural and stuff like that. But wasn't there heavy implication that the pirates did a lot of terrible things to them to, to quote unquote deserve being cursed. I mean, the people oh, after yeah. them, not necessarily. No, 100%. There was uh piratey stuff going on that was only kept. It was, it was hinted at. This was a dark ass movie and I loved it. Yeah. Cause like at the end they defeat them because they keep them from being able to steal away their youth. And so the enough time passes and the spell is broken and they age in front of them into dust. Oh, uh, that would be horrifying to any child. So, yeah, this had the right blend of, you know, Scooby-Doo, it's light and fun, but there's also some seriously scary stuff in it. Well, what's funny is that, um, and maybe it's because the nature of these things, but I don't remember really any of the funny bits. I just remember the badass song. I remember the creepy cats and the zombies. I remember at the very end, one of my favorite moments is when they, they end the curse. The like, I think it's the pirate captain ghost just shows up behind Scooby and just says, thank you and then drifts off. And that seems cliche now, I think, but at the time I was like, that was cool and creepy and emotional. Well, the whole title is Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. So you're prepared like, okay, we're going to battle zombies. Zombies are the enemy. And then it's like, no, they're evil cat witches. Which, you know, no one could have really seen that coming, I think. (laughs) Again, in a Scooby-Doo film where the motivation is typically, you know, smuggling or realty scams and cheap rubber masks, this one is murder. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if there's been a Scooby-Doo movie that goes to that, like, level of darkness since then. So, like, I followed up with Scooby-Doo and the Aliens, and that one's kind of weak. And then Scooby-Doo in cyberspace, and they were never as good after this. Oh, I remember that that guy who reviews in 10 seconds. He said that, in his opinion, the best uh, Scooby-Doo movie was one where they go to space and there are aliens. And he said it basically is alien, as in Ridley Scott's alien, but with uh, Scooby-Doo. I don't know if that's the same movie you're talking about, because I think that came out actually very recently. Never heard of that one. Yeah. No, this I, one's Area 51 Roswell style. No, no, and this Scooby is and Shaggy fall in love with the aliens. And, eh. Definitely not the same one. But the one that this guy talked about is like they go like to the moon or something. But it's apparently really good. There's also a really recent one 
that came out a couple years ago, I think, where Shaggy gets hypnotized and to be brave and then beats up a bunch of bikers in a bar, and it's awesome. Interesting. I know there's actually a really good Scooby-Doo comic going on right now, published by Archie Comics, that's set in dystopian future. Well, there's actually still quite a lot of good Scooby-Doo stuff. I know um, Mystery Incorporated only ended like a couple years ago, and that actually took itself very seriously. And then there's... Now there's... um. I don't know what it's called, but there's a new Scooby-Doo series that's more humor-focused again, and I hate the art style, but it's it's pretty funny. So that's It's current. so long-enduring. They keep redoing it, but for me, this was the high-water mark of my childhood experience with Scooby-Doo. Yeah, as far as a childhood experience, I, I can I can agree with that. I mean, I watched... Oh, man, I saw the original, like, 60s cartoon episodes so much. Cause they, were, they were always on, really. Late yeah, so. they were on all the... I don't know why. That was just the 90s. They ran them... They had them so they're going to run them a bunch scooby dooby doo where are you yeah man that's so in the head like i <laughs> that opening with like the the creepy robot guy followed by like the like the ghost face dude is like that just burrows into your brain yeah no i definitely want to get this movie and some of those old ones for my daughter to watch around halloween because it's just creepy enough yeah that's a good way to put it just creepy enough. well i mean that's kind of what we're talking about here and uh when it comes to like stuff that we saw a lot in childhood one thing that i remember seeing on because you know when you're a kid you've got like three or four channels that you have memory at least in our time now we live in the area of on era of on demand so maybe this is gonna be it was daily channel nickelodeon and cartoon network you knew those numbers you flip between the three Uh, and in october you're missing one which would be fox because saturday morning cartoons i was only on saturdays yeah, but I'm you talking, still knew you know, it. October rolls around. You're like, all right, well, I'm in the good for some Halloween marathons. Who, what's yeah. the Cartoon Network has got? You know, Scooby Doo on Zombie Island. What's Disney got? Yeah, I'm just saying though that those were like the you'd have like those four channels memorized, no matter what oh, state yeah. you're in. They were always different. And I remember we'd go on a vacation, we'd go to some Motel Six. That'd be the first thing is like find what channel Cartoon Network's on. Yep. So, but I remember that like every year, I don't remember which channel it was. I feel like it's Disney that did this, but there was a movie called Hocus Pocus that would Disney play. property. Yeah, I figured it was Disney because it's just like that, you know, 13th year and, and the Luck of the Irish kind of stuff. Um, I thought that, no, this one I think actually had a theatrical release. Maybe, I think so. I think you're I right. could it, be it feels, wrong. It feels bigger than those other ones because, uh, by the way, I watched, you know, the 13th year of Luck of the Irish. I didn't like the 13th yep. year, but I don't like mermaids. And Luck of the Irish, I still think is fun, even though it's not a good movie. It's so, a yeah, good sure. St. Patrick's Day movie, but when you say that, you have to realize there are no good St. Patrick's Day movies. Correct. Now, Hocus Pocus, though, felt uh, bigger, and it felt like it had better talent attached to it, certainly, because, like, I, I wish I knew the actresses' names offhand. I'll look them up while we're talking. Look but... them up right now. We got Beth Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy Najimy. It's Bette Midler, man. She was she stole every Damning scene. it up and having she know what movie she was in. Yeah. So to anyone who doesn't know, because you know this movie came out in uh, 1993. So yeah, this is a, this is an old movie, old by today's standards. Uh, it's about so back in you know the Salem, witch times. Yeah. Is it actually Salem? All right, it was actually Salem. It's there, I thought it was Salem because we're talking witches. Creepy yeah, ass opening. Yeah, point is though, back in Salem, there were actually three witches. That was the the basic premise uh, to begin with, is that there were these three witches. They were stealing children because they would basically eat them to take their youth. So we've got another take youth story. Maybe there's a theme here with Halloween we need to think about. It. Anyway, so <laughs> so they they steal this girl, and her brother comes to try to save her and fails. So literally, this movie begins with 
the witches Child murder. Yeah, the witches murder the, the girl and turn the boy into an immortal cat to punish him forever so that he can always live with his failure, essentially. And they do manage to get caught by like the townspeople eventually and um dealt with, but burned because... at the stake. Like we see them burned at the stake. Yeah, yeah. I remember because this was kind of one of those movies that was almost too creepy to watch. Exactly. I mean, that's the whole point of this, like, you know, these these PG Halloween movies is they'd be creepy without crossing a line. Back right? in the 90s when we, you know, made our movies scary, we didn't <laughs> care how much we fucked up the kids. Yeah. Oh, it, it was Salem, by the way. So anyway, so then like 300 years go by. And now because their book still exists, like they got the book. It's heavily, I shouldn't even say implied. They straight up tell you they got the book from Satan, from the devil. Yeah. <laughs> so as long as the it's, book's There's still a lot of heavy terms, things going on in this movie. Yeah, so as long as the book exists, they can't truly die, I guess, because 300 years go by, some dumb, I want to say teenagers, but they're pretty young, so like preteens. No, they're teenagers because you want to talk about the ongoing subplot of this movie that's really uncomfortable nowadays? I don't remember. What's the They're obsessed subplot? with the fact that he's a virgin. Oh, that, okay. He I lit the, can the virgin lit the candle and brought it back, and this movie keeps going, oh, he's a virgin. Which is probably the only <laughs> problem I have with this movie now is that as it, it was weird as a kid because I didn't know what a virgin was. See, I feel and it's like it's just awkward now. Uh, I have to go back and rewatch it. It's been a couple of years since I watched it, but I know that the last time I saw it, you know, I was, you know, I was in college, and I remember that the the virgin thing never felt to me. It felt like a normal part of Halloween mythology. Like a lot of those old, um, you know, stories have a lot to do with things like that and purity. And so it kind of, but they don't like really mock him for it other than, a Oh couple. yeah. There's a couple scenes where they mock him for it. There was like, remember the, there's a whole scene where they go up to a cop and, you know, trying to get his help. And he's like, wait a second, you're telling me you're a virgin. Ah, true. Okay. I it's do a big that. plot point. Like I've rewatched this fairly recently. It's still a good movie, but that part was just, Oh, can right. I show this to All my right. kids without having to answer that awkward question? Uh, well, this, I feel like, is a, a preteen kind of movie, so like 10, 11, 12 kind of age. Group. I watched it like 7, 8, and 9, so... Yeah, no, I'm not saying that you can't. I'm just saying that that's the... Anyway, point is that 300 years go by, Virgin lights a candle, and that basically uh, is the spell to bring the witches back. And so then they've got this, like, night. The witches have Halloween night to, if they can basically kill one child then they can stay there but otherwise they will like disappear essentially and so then you've got zachary binks the cat shows up and he can talk because talking black cat this was around when sprint teenage witch was on too i think so anyway, um, hollywood staple yeah exactly so then the cat is uh help trying to help the two main like kids fight off the witches and it's just a lot of various things that might be considered like cliche now but like for instance they chase them through the town and i mentioned the devil earlier well literally the witches come across someone dresses the devil and just think he is straight up the devil great scene no there's a, like a lot of great it seems like one of them is writing on a vacuum uh yeah because they can't all find brooms so i think the best part of this movie is the three actresses they're going they, they're going whole hog they're giving this their all oh yeah all three of the witches are scene stealers through and through. They're amazing. Especially Beth Midler. She's having so much fun. Like this well, is why, kind of a hokey movie. It's well, that's why the best scene in the movie, as far as I'm concerned, is where uh Pet Midler gets like caught in the middle of a party and they think that she's like a singer essentially. So they just give her a microphone and she starts singing I put a spell on you and it is 
amazing. <laughs> yeah, they danced all night. Well, Beth Midler did, I think, released a couple records before our time. So it was like, we have Beth Midler in this. Let's let her sing. Yeah, my favorite part is, I don't know if you remember, but uh, Billy Bones, the zombie. Oh, yeah, Billy. Oh, I love Billy. Okay, so um, at this point, I will do the same thing with Scooby-Doo. If you haven't seen Hocus Pocus, then I'm going to give you a count of three. Go watch it, especially if you have a kid in this kind of age group. It's a fun movie. It's, I think it holds up pretty well, all things considered. So, Yeah, three. but no, one fun fact. Uh, oh, go ahead. Do you know who played Billy Bones? No. Who, oh, wait. I, I did know this. Um, No, who did? Doug Jones. Pretty much the guy that if you've ever seen a Del Toro movie or any Hollywood monster, he's that guy. Ah, oh, that's right. Anyway, so three, two, one. Now everyone who's listening either has already seen it or doesn't care. So like at the end, right, they're fighting the witches in the cemetery and they summon a zombie – Billy Bones, who I remember he had some like connection to the witches while he was alive. I don't he fell in love with the Sarah Jessica Parker witch, and as punishment, he had his lips sewn shut and was buried alive or something really grisly. Ah, yeah. But the point is, so he's chasing the kids. It seems like you know he's the witch's minion, but he finally gets a hold of one of the kids, and they're like, yeah. But he reaches into the kid's like jacket and pulls out this knife just so he can cut open the stitches of his, of his mouth. And then just like looks at the witches and goes, witch! And just starts like insulting them <laughs> and saying how much yeah. long he's waited to do it. Well, he's got, he brings some great physical comedy to this movie. There's one scene where he's coming up and he puts a manhole cover up and a bus runs over and you see it takes off his fingers and you just hear this, rrr, rrr, <laughs> which makes no sense because he's dead. And how does he feel pain? Yeah, let's not think about that too much. Oh, also with songs, there's there's at least one other really important song where near the end the Sarah Jessica Parker witch goes flying around the town singing for children to come to her to, to like summon all the children. And you know, as a young boy, that was um an interesting song. Yeah. <laughs> if, you get my, if you get my drift. Yeah, no, one hundred percent with you on that one. No, I do remember, this is a movie I really liked, but I don't know if I ever made it to the end a lot as a kid. Like, I'd get kind of bored and wander off. Like, okay, well, this was cool and all, but... See, it, it really worked for me, because the end is where, like, you know, the big, ho- big hoo-ha-ha in the middle of the cemetery is, and that was, like, the most exciting kind of part. So, and uh, it also made a lot of sense to me for them to go out the way they did, which is, you know, sunlight. And, well, the end of, I mean, technically it was just the end of the spell. They didn't get a child by the end of, like, you know, Halloween. But, and of course, then there's Zachary Banks doing the whole sacrifice himself to try to save him. And anyway, there's a lot going on there. But the the point is, defeat the witches. And uh, the one of the witches gets, like, a funny goodbye, but the other ones get pretty, like, somewhat horrifying goodbyes. And then in, at the very end, we see because the witches are dead dead uh zachary gets to also die and uh we see his spirit go off with his sister's spirit and uh i know he has this great line where he says something like i'm sorry i had to wait 300 years for a virgin to light a candle and then it's, that party, and there's like, it's the weird thing about this movie like they keep hammering home a virgin isn't that funny i don't know that line was funny for me so I will give this movie credit on its production value. Like, it looked really cool and creepy and Halloween-y. Yeah, I think it still looks 
uh, pretty creepy. It looks like um, kind of like one of those old Goosebumps live, but better. Like if it had a good, you know. Yeah, uh, I would say it's slightly above the old Goosebumps TV show in production quality. I it's funny because like those three witches are probably in like the top tier of what I think about when I think about you know a classic witch. So I'm I mean, number pretty one. Sure this is so many people's favorite, you know, Halloween movie. Uh, see, for, for the record, the number one witch in my brain is always going to be the Wicked Witch of the West. But you know, I I saw uh, Wizard of Oz very early on. But I think we all did. <laughs> yeah, but the fact that um, you know that witch is like basically a force of nature and of pure evil, whereas these witches, while evil, are also very charismatic to the point where, while you don't root for them, you like seeing them on screen. <laughs> so, yeah, no, this is a solid movie. I know it's a staple for a lot of people in Halloween. I know if you're a 90s kid, you pretty much watch this at least yeah. a half dozen times. Like it's funny. We talked about Freddy Krueger last week, and a similar thing where it's like, they're so charismatic that you really like them, but you can't get over the fact that they kill children. So Yeah, but Freddy kind of got there eventually. They busted onto the scene just yucking it up. That's true. You're correct about that. Well, anyway, so that's our spiel about Hocus Pocus, which is one of the most fun. Like I remember when I was a kid around the time when this was on all the time, I didn't like live action stuff in general. I feel like that's normal. Like kids. That's a in kid thing. If it's not cartoons, you're a little bit more reserved. Yeah. I, I, I know that there were some people who as young kids could be into things like blues clues, which have, you know, a live action person stuff. I wasn't, I was like, it, I remember when they first started putting like some live stuff on, uh, on cartoon network. And I was pissed. Or the oh, closest we thing... like no, this is the Cartoon Network channel. It's cartoons only. What is this shit? Yeah, and e- and even the the live action stuff on Disney and Nick, I was always not interested in. The closest I think I remember liking, um, what was that Amanda Bynes like Mad TV like thing? That that was. Uh, I think it was the Amanda Show. Uh, yeah, the Amanda Show. Like that, I was kind that of was fine. solid. All that was solid. My point Legend being, of the Hidden uh, Temple. My point being though that Hocus Pocus was one of those things that was like. I really, you know, as a kid, I, I liked seeing it when it was on around Halloween, and I didn't really like live-action movies at the time. So. Well, I think it was, there wasn't a lot for the longest time really good, you know, kids' Halloween movies. I mean, there was some really, like, uh, Ray Bradbury's The Halloween Tree was awesome, but you could never catch it. For for the record, looking at um, the, the wiki, this movie apparently had pretty terrible reviews, which is not surprising, because, you know... Yeah. Like it's got like a thirty percent on Rotten Tomatoes, a four point four stars out of ten, an average rating. So like not great, but my whole point is that this was a really fun like movie as a kid. It's just like it's not a great movie by any sense. It's just a really fun one. So oh, I would not argue this is a good movie, but if you grew up with the nostalgia for it, or you're watching it as a kid, I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, All right, well, I'm gonna kind of cheat on this next one and do a twofer because it's my podcast and I want to. All right. I don't have a lot to say about either of them, so that's kind of why I'm doing this. So I'm going to start with my first choice, Coraline, which is an awesome stop-motion film, and stop-motion is inherently terrifying. Okay, I'm going to real quick say Coraline is fine. I know there's a lot of people who really, really like Coraline. I've only seen it once, and I don't really remember it. I, I love Laika, which for anyone who doesn't know, Laika is the studio that made Coraline. And, and pretty much all the awesome stop motion animation films the last few years you probably didn't watch. Well, that's what I'm getting to is that Coraline, I think, was Laika's first 
or at least their first like breakthrough. And I feel like every movie they've made, with the exception of maybe the box trolls, is been getting better and better. So okay, while, good. I'm not the only one that didn't like the box trolls. I didn't even see it, so I can't say. I'm, oh, I'm just, well, damn it. Yeah, I'm just saying that like Kubo and the Two Strings, for instance, was my favorite damn movie of the year that came out. That like one was that. really good. Anyway, point is though, Coraline is fine. I just think that anyone out there who likes Coraline and hasn't actually followed up with Laika's other work is doing themselves a disservice. Yeah, and that's kind of why I'm doing a twofer for this one because both movies I'm going to talk about, I like them just fine. I'm not huge fans of them. I think they're great Hollywood movies. Uh, Coraline, it's based off a Neil Gaiman book, which is a pretty good book. Coral, uh, Neil Gaiman, for anyone who doesn't know, is like my favorite author. So I'll yeah. watch most things he's written. <laughs> I've read all his books. I own almost all his books. I need Coraline still, and I need the Graveyard book. But I just, I just, wish, I just wish that a Nancy Boys didn't piss me off so much that I had to stop. I reading. love a Nancy Boys. I don't okay. know why you hate it so much. I can explain very easily why I hate it, but that's another time. <laughs> well, we will do an episode about that. But yeah, Coraline. It's a beautiful stop-motion uh, animated film about this girl named Coraline whose parents moved to this strange house somewhere in the Pacific Northwest and their kooky neighbors. And then she discovers her other mother, which is this creepy-ass, button-eyed monster. Okay. I mean, I'm just, I'm just trying to keep it real simple and spoiler-free. That's the long and short of it. Um, the more detailed thing is there's this other dimension that kind of exists parallel to ours, which is a huge Neil Gaiman thing. Yeah, obviously. And for any of you wondering how much the book differs from the movie, it's a pretty much one-to-one translation. You know, There's a few things they change here and there. Correct me if I'm wrong, because like I said, I barely remember this movie, but I remember hearing a few people say it was like a stop-motion Halloween version of Spirited Away. Oh, uh, yeah. Spirited Away is weirder, but it's definitely there. Okay, go but on. The whole kind of running plot is that Coraline doesn't like her parents, and she's very upset, you know, kind of common kid things. And when she discovers her other mother, who's all, you know, oh, Coraline, you're so wonderful. Let's do all these wonderful things. And look, I've made you this entire family of button-eyed creepers. Creepy. And it all seems good and wonderful. And then it starts getting a bit darker. And we find out that this other mother, this creature, has been luring children away to this other, you know, dimension, killing them and harvesting their souls by sewing buttons onto their eyes. So for anyone doing the at-home game, that's three movies in a row that involve luring people away to murder them. Yep. And Coraline, you know, is forced to defeat her because she steals her parents and she has to go back and stop her. And the really cool thing is there's, of course, these button-eyed versions of all her other kooky neighbors, which are really interesting, which when they're first introduced, they're light and they're fun and, oh, this is funny. And when they're later introduced, they're creepy and terrifying. Um, I think the best example is this strange Russian neighbor she has upstairs. Mm-hmm. Who, fun fact, if you look in, you know, there's a little Easter egg that he was part of the Chernobyl cleanup team, and he has blue skin. Mm, okay. But he has a you know rat circus, and the first time Coraline meets his other version of him. He's all, you know, fun and, oh, this is a cool rat circus. And then the second time you meet him, he's made of rats. That's gross. Cool, though. Yeah. And it's a pretty short movie, simple story. She ends up defeating the other mother, big climactic battle, which is the only real difference between the book and the movie. The movie, the book kind of ends anticlimactically. This one has a big, you know, dramatic ending. It's mainly the 
animation that really sells this movie. It's got the stop motion and the colors kind of give it this whole creepy vibe. Oh man, for the record, I am a sucker for stop motion in general. I just love it as a medium. Well, this is such a beautiful movie. The story's kind of weak, but I'll admit the book is also kind of weak. And I mainly are things on just the design and how creepy and awesome it is. And it's a great, I mean, if you're a kid, this one will scare the shit out of you. It still scares the hell out of me, especially when you get to the transformation of the other mother when she becomes this giant spider-like thing with a hand made of needles and she wants to pluck out Coraline's eyes. That does sound terrifying. I kind of remember that. Yeah, no, it's a legitimately creepy movie. I mean, I'm doing it too for because, well, I just I don't have much more to say else about that. Other it's a really good movie with really good animation. Okay, well then, what's your other one? Uh, my other one is The Corpse Bride. Now, The Corpse Bride, I've never watched all the way through. I've seen most of it in, like, chunks on in the background while I was hanging out at parties and stuff like that. But I never actually watched it. I never had much of an interest. I felt like The Corpse Bride came out at a time when, uh, how do I put this? All of my friends were Nightmare Before Christmas out of their minds, right? Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I love Nightmare Before Christmas. I actually really I don't. <laughs> well, you're allowed to, but I'm saying I do love it. But Corpse Bride felt so targeted to that demographic of people that it, like, turned me off by feeling so targeted, you know? Oh, I 100% agree. That's how I felt when it came out. The only reason I ever really went back and watched it was because this is one of Slagathor's favorite movies. Well... When I mention uh, a group of people that were Night for Christmas out of their mind, Slagathor was part of that group of people. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I was, I'm not a big fan of Nightmare Before Christmas. I personally feel it's overrated. I think it's a Thanksgiving movie, not a Halloween movie. And I think it has been milked dry for every, everything. Creatively, artistically, referencely, everything. This has been just picked apart and I it don't, doesn't work for me anymore. I don't think you're wrong. It still works for me, the original movie in its original form, but I got very tired of seeing t-shirts and book bags and scarves and I just I got tired of seeing it everywhere. Like I still love the movie, but to me now it that's just all it is is the movie. And I was really I was not feeling love for Tim Burton because when I saw this movie I had just seen his god awful Alice in Wonderland. Ugh. Which, God, that movie. So, yeah, there was everything going can, against oh, me I, watching sorry. this movie. Can I, can I just, just for a moment, without going into <laughs> detail, it's Alice in Wonderland. Put in Alice going through Wonderland and seeing crazy stuff. What is so hard about that? Why you do gave we it need... to Tim Burton. This should have been a slam dunk, and yeah. somehow... Why do we need a story about a chosen one and fighting armies that just gets in the way of everything and is stupid? Stupid. Sorry. That yeah, the whole movie's dumb. So no, I had everything going against me for this movie, and I watched it, and I was like, wow, that was really good. There was great music in there. Again, more great stop motion, interesting story. It was legitimately creepy. I argue this movie has better music than Nightmare Before Christmas. I will die on that hill. Uh, and you're going to. <laughs> and a lot of people are going to shoot you, but you go ahead. Yeah, no, I think it's fun. And so the whole story is Johnny Depp, I'm not going to call him anything else because that's what the, he is. Anytime, John, anytime Johnny Depp plays a character, pretty much, I want to say after the year 2000, he was playing Johnny Depp. Well, I would say anytime Johnny Depp plays a character, especially in a Tim Burton movie, like because, for instance, my favorite Johnny Depp role, it, well, that's not actually true. My favorite Johnny Depp role is him in Black Mass, which was 
pretty recent, but I also liked him a lot in Secret Window, which are two movies that I feel like don't get thrown out when talking about the Deppography. <laughs> yeah, but no, he plays Johnny Depp, and he's all kind of shy and bashfully. He has to get married, and he doesn't want to, and he ends up through random events betrothing himself to the corpse bride who is random this... events he puts a ring on a skeletal hand what's random he about that and falls i thought no he does put it on okay that's right and he finds himself betrothed to this and taken to the underworld and the underworld's where it really gets interesting this is where burton's being burton and you know being creative and having all sorts of fun off the wall images and ideas and monsters and I will say the imagery I've seen from Corpse Bride reminds me of something that I could best describe as like a proto Coco, right? You know, because Coco is so heavily for, I mean, the movie for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about. Um, Coco was so heavily uh, dipped in like Mexican Dia de los Muertos uh, imagery. But that same kind of like how the skeletons and the skulls and the shapes and stuff, I see a lot of that in Corpse Bride without, you know, the the actual cultural impact, but it's, it's interesting to see that kind of like that, that specific kind of look. There's a lot of it. What I like is, you know, the idea that when you die, however you die, that's the form you take on in your afterlife. Like there's, you know, a Napoleon stand in and he's got a knife through him. And there's, you know, a British officer with a cannonball blasted through him. Um, yeah, I don't think that's anything new, but sure. No, but I like, that's a kind of a nice little artistic thing. I enjoy. The only real problem I have with this one is the Corpse Bride, you know, voiced by Helena Bottom Carter, is so much more likable and charismatic than who he actually ends up marrying, who was voiced by Emma Watson, but she did, they don't do anything with her. So she kind of comes off as boring, and you find yourself going, you know what? Maybe give necrophilia a try. Maybe just give it a try. That's all I'm saying. Uh, are you sure that was actually Helena Bottom Carter? I don't think it was. I'm 99% sure because, it, one, it's a Tim Burton film, and two, there's Johnny Depp in there. Uh, you go on. I'll look it up. And so that's the movie's biggest problem. It spends so much time developing, you know, these two characters and how interesting they are that everything else kind of falls by the wayside. Like there's a villain, but he's just a boring villain. And, you know, you're right, by the way, it was Helena. I told you it's a Tim Burton film. <laughs> I don't know. I just, if, I guess it seemed too obvious. If you got one, there's good, you know, I'd take good odds to get the other. If and, you have Tim Burton, Johnny Depp, <laughs> if you have two out of three between Johnny Depp, Tim Burton, and Helen Carter, highly likely that third one's going to be there. <laughs> yeah. And again, this movie kind of, you know, where it doesn't work is when it goes back to the living world, it's so boring compared to this little world of the undead. And I get maybe that's the idea, but I don't know. That's why this movie, again, I can't really get passionate about it, which is why I did a two for because mainly I enjoy these movies for the animation. I think that's and of course, fair. I mean, like I, I can't said, talk a... about this movie without, you know, saying Christopher Lee as the priest is awesome. All right. In all fairness, when was the last time you saw Christopher Lee in something and he wasn't awesome? Yeah, no, I listened to his Christmas album and it was awesome. We lost a really talent with that guy. But again, this is another great Halloween movie for the kids because the story simple. The Animation's amazing. It well, just, like I said, I'm a sucker it's for... It's not a total package for me, but I love the music more than I can Nightmare. And maybe that's because no one has sang it to me a thousand different times in a thousand different ways. I think that's perfectly fair <laughs> as a description. I mean, I've had... So my buddy Nils, me and him have talked a lot about like music, and there definitely is a... Like, one of... Um, 
whatever year Walk the Moon came out, that was like my favorite pop song of that year. And his immediate response was that he hated it, but only because he worked in like a daycare center where it played every day. And I had only just heard it like a couple days before. So, <laughs> so yeah, I understand that. But anyway, as far as like stop motion, I actually, the movie I want to talk about last is another stop motion, another Leica, and that's a Paranorman, which as far as I'm concerned is really neck and neck with Kubo for not only best Leica movie, but like best stop motion movie that I've ever seen. This is the one I know I saw it the year it came out, but I don't remember anything about it. So Paranorman is basically what happened if we took the sixth sense and made it like more friendly for children as an easier to watch, but kept the darkness, just tweak it a bit. So I remember being plenty dark and I remember really liking the animation again. I'm kind of a sucker for stop motion. Yeah. Well, again, like I said, Kubo and Paranorman are two of my absolute favorite like stop motion movies ever and we'll probably both have uh pretty high spots in like a top 100 movies list of all of any kind of movie so paranorman um for any the, the basic premise is very simple that there's this kid named norman he can see the undead and of course no one believes him so you know he can see spirits like the ghost of his grandmother is just chilling in the house and I remember that i remember his dad's a bit of an asshole his family are jerks in general. Um, that, I mean, that's a big part of the story, though, is that Norman is a, a power fantasy isn't the right thing necessarily because Norman himself is supposed to be like kind of a weak character. That's part of what makes him great. But he's definitely a self-insert to like for nerdy or you know. I remember outside. thinking he looked a lot like Ray William. J- <laughs> um, well, he's got the hair, but anyway, no, the hair is- and the red coat. Like, I remember that. I know I've seen this movie, but for whatever reason, I don't remember anything about it. I don't well, know why. Anyway, the point is that Norman can see spirits. Halloween's coming up. And through a series of events that I am not going to go into necessarily right now, um, Norman has a, a vision of like a crazy witch hunt from the past, and then zombies start attacking the town. And he's got to figure out where the zombies came from, how to get rid of them, and he's got, you know, his collection of like friends and you know other like older siblings and or like babies or stuff like that to help him out and or hinder him. And it, it seems like really what's the word? Not standard because it, but it's taking very familiar beats when it comes to these kind of movies, and then it does some really great stuff with them. So as a, a quick spoiler free thing, like I said, Paranorman is one of my favorite movies period it is unlike some of the previous ones talked about i don't necessarily think paranorman is good for young kids i feel like the imagery is creepy and scary enough and the tones deep enough that you want a you know a preteen like we're talking 10 to 12. well i was just about debating about going out and buying it for my collection so my daughter can watch it when she gets older yeah that's the point is that like this is i think for not necessarily a teen required, but just a little bit of an older kid. Do you remember really... a lot of people giving it that criticism? It was really dark for a kid's movie. Yeah. So, Which I should have remembered more because this sounds like right up my alley. Oh, it's so good, man. But anyway, um, so I highly recommend I it, it stands up perfectly. Like Unlike Hocus Pocus, which I love, but is the kind of movie that, like, yeah, you, it's mostly for kids. Paranorman is just a great movie. It stands up perfectly fine if you're an adult. It just happens to be enjoyable like four kids. So if you haven't seen it more than any other movie on this list, no offense to Coraline, of course, right? Hocus Pocus, Scooby-Doo, but I feel like Paranorman like needs to survive. It needs people to know it. So yeah, no, I feel like the other ones you've heard of this. This one, I feel like is one that really kind of slips through the cracks. 
So go see it. And if you don't care and or have already seen it, three, two, one, the twist at the end. I'm saying this mostly for oh, for your sake, Ulrich, because now anyone. I remember the twist. Know. Yeah, the twist, right? Is that the the visions that Paranorman or that Norman has been having are about a, a young girl who was just a regular girl who was killed in a witch hunt, and so it, it basically she became a vengeful spirit, cursed the townsfolk who murdered her, and proceeds to basically torment them every like you know time she can by bringing them back as undead, refusing to let their spirits rest. And so Norman has to basically defeat because the zombies turn out that they're not trying to hurt anyone. They're just they're stuck as zombies and they don't want to be, so they're trying to find someone to help them. So Norman has to save the day by empathizing with and connecting with the spirit of this girl and getting her to let go of her hatred and anger and move on. And when she moves on, the curse ends. Again, beautiful animation. I remember that much. Yeah, that it's super dark, creepy stuff, man. This this like the whole the whole movie being built around this like wrongfully murdered spirit of this child. I don't know. I remember I saw it the first time I was like, this is insane. <laughs> yeah, no, I know I've seen it. I keep meaning to go back and watch it, but for whatever reason, I have no memory of it. And again, all I remember was the twist and again, more beautiful stop motion animation. I'm really a sucker for stop motion. I accredit it to uh, when Cartoon Network used to play the Wallace and Gromit shorts. Wallace and Gromit's awesome, yeah. So anyway, p- point is that this is a movie that it's got re- the zombies themselves are pretty creepy, but not as creepy as just the a lot of the like visions that Norman gets that are like legit. Oh yeah, scary. I remember that was terrifying. Yeah, was, they do a lot with, with great imagery. There's there's a dead body, like not a zombie, a straight up dead body, pretty early on that Norman has to deal with to like get like the creepy, you know, the witch book essentially from this rigor mortis body, which is both hilarious and also really morbidly creepy. So. There's a lot of stuff like that uh, going on. There's, you know, some of the some jabs that I think old horror movies with like the the teenagers who are really out of the loop with what's going on, obviously. Yeah. But it, overall, it's also a movie that I think really latches itself onto like the kind of people that I, I think I am and my, a lot of my friends were, which is whether you know whether you're there. It's outcast. It's a movie for outcasts. Like if you were ever bullied. So. Yeah, if you were bullied or felt like you didn't fit in, this is a movie about someone who is like that, uh, succeeding, saving the day by empathizing with another person who was like that, but in a much more literal sense that she was a you know outcast as a witch. But a lot of the the themes of this movie are based around that idea of like no matter how alone or outcast you feel, there is there are people like you. There are people who can understand what you're going through. And that, you know, talking and communicating is what is most important. I mean, it's how he wins at the end. And then then at the very end, his family, who have now, you know, seen the undead rise, actually believe him that he can see the spirit of his grandmother there. And so they, like, ask him, hey, is grandma okay? Where is she? And he's like, oh, she's right there. And, like, they recognize and accept him at the end because of his, I mean, literally because they, they saw with their own eyes. But also it's, like, the idea of, hey, you know, communicating properly leads to understanding, right? I don't, sorry, I, I can go on a long thing about that, but it's, <laughs> just, it touches me so personally, and I think it touches a lot of people personally who, who have actually seen it. 
No, I think between this and last week's episode, we've given people quite the playlist for Halloween. I hope so. That was kind of the point. I mean, and there's a lot of other ones I would suggest, but no, I think this is, if you've got young kids, these are all great movies to go out and pick up. Maybe not Paranorman, because apparently it's a lot creepier and darker than I remember. But uh, I, I, I will say, though, that because I grew up with friends group like this, if you're one of those people, and I'm not, I'm not criticizing you for this, but if you're one of those people who pops in Nightmare for Christmas every year, uh, maybe put Paranorman there as well. Like, I feel Save like if you're... it for Thanksgiving. It's where it belongs. <laughs> my, my point is, though, that I know there are a lot of people like that because I have a lot of friends who are like that. And I'm not criticizing them for it, but I'm just saying that I everyone am. knows Nightmare Before Christmas. Paranorman deserves to be more well-known than it is. So give it a shot, please. All right, shall we move on to our suggestions of the week? Yes, go ahead. All right, my first suggestion is a game that would destroy you. Life is Strange? Yes. Uh, I know I stole your thunder there, but I have not actually played Life is Strange. I've seen some footage of it, but I don't know a whole lot about it. I think it's a great game. Uh, there's tons of Let's Plays. Like every, it's an older game now, so it's one, it's completely out. You can go pick it up. And two, everyone's done a Let's Play on it. But when I say mm. it's a game that would destroy you, is it's a game where your choice affects the story and your choice matters, and there's lots of hard choices, and I know what that would do to you. Are you talking about me specifically? Yes. I I don't know about that, man. I mean, I've played... I, I mean, Mass Effect's one of my favorite things, and I've played uh, stuff like The Walking Dead, which is... Let's go back to Fallout 3 and how long... How you broke down certain decisions. Okay, that was one decision, and I still think it's one of the most insane decisions uh, existentially that I've ever seen in a video game, okay? That's... I would argue this game has a couple like that that really are hard to make, but I'll go back to the beginning. The whole crux of the story is you follow this one character named chloe no max sorry chloe is her friend she's at this you know art school in oregon and she has a weird vision one day in class of this giant storm destroying the town she goes to the bathroom to wash you know splash some water on her face and she sees her best friend murdered in front of her and then she finds she has the ability to rewind time Mm. she you know saves her friend chloe and it kind of unfolds in this whole big murder mystery, paranormal thing, you know, who, you know, trying to solve a series of murders. And it gets really dark and goes to some really incredibly dark places, asks you to, you know, make some hard choices that I'm like, pretty sure you would have a big board on the wall going, all right, now if I do this, the ripple effects of this will be. And if I don't do this, it could result in this. And the whole time I'm, you know, playing this, I'm like, oh, this is a game that Axel would love and hate because he'd be screaming, why are you asking me to make this decision? I love stuff like that. So I think I think you are um, maybe misunderstanding how I deal with decisions in games, but I understand that this is praise for it. So you go ahead. It's, uh, again, it's kind of a, it's a small, it's, I don't want to call it an indie because it was, you know, developed by Square Enix. Well, I remember when it came out, people talking about how it was a AAA game with, you know, stuff like Heavy Rain was coming out around the same time, I think, too, which is basically similar kind of concept. But it's it's a it's a AAA game with indie sensibilities. Even that, I feel yeah. like it's giving me a little too much. I hate the AAA scene. But anyway, go ahead. No, it's got you know a simple art style, a lot of you know decision based games. Um, the time travel thing kind of works against it because you can you know if you make a decision you don't like, you can go back and change it to a certain extent, and I don't like how it ends because the game kind of gives you one or two choices. Binary decisions. Eh, I don't. 
and they're two very extremely different decisions I don't like. <laughs> Sorry, um, no, no one has ever explained that better to me than um, Yahtzee Croshaw in his Zero Punctuation review of Bioshock, where he said, how come every video game with choice has to make the choice between being Mother Teresa and eating a baby? Yeah, no, that, that, that sums up this ending. I actually think I made the choice that people that know me would not think I'd make, but, and the sequel just came out. I'm actually watching a Let's Play of that one right now from and, who you want to uh jesse cox jesse cox i don't know that let's player. okay you'd like him i think i he's a lot like me he's very loud he's very bombastic he's uh he's a great watch i give check him out he's got you know a lot of good content he I, has a great uh if you don't want to buy this game check out his let's play yeah i just stick to the game grandma especially because there's two of them so they can have a conversation while they play but sure. well he's got he does it with his best friend as well so that's why this one really works oh all right and I don't know. It's a great game. I think you would either love it or hate it. I don't know. Like I said, some of the decisions <laughs> are truly kind of upsetting. And I don't think I've uttered more the, wow, now we're really in the darkest timeline more than when this game, playing this game. So if you like deep emotional decision-based story games. If you like... love a great story, this game is very much story. Okay. I know you got another suggestion, so... Yeah, and I'm going to move on to one of my favorite weekly shows, uh, Movie Fights, over on Screen Junkies. I don't know if you've ever watched this or even heard of this at all. And Screen Junkies, I only care about the honest trailers. Uh, they got a lot of great content I'm really a fan of, but Movie Fights is a great weekly show where three contestants come in and argue nonsensical movie stuff. Hmm. Uh, Cinefix does something similar. There's a lot of people that do something similar to this, but I love watching the show because these are the kind of arguments and conversations I would, you and I would have. I mean, that's the reason why you wanted to start this podcast in the first place, because we kept having crazy, in-depth movie conversations, and uh, people, unfortunately, people that were in the group with us would usually get shoved out of those conversations, and so we were like, let's start recording them. Yeah, I know. Like, I talked about it in previous podcasts, but one of the biggest, uh, greatest jokes, in my opinion, was name the best you know, movie ghost. And someone said the blowjob ghost from Ghostbusters 2. And his whole argument was predicated on it's a ghost that gives you blowjobs. It's Ghostbusters 1, by the way. It's one of the only oh, sorry. bad. But um, And then they, okay. you know, they go back and forth arguing the logistics of a ghost that gives blowjobs and consent and cleanup and... Yeah, no. I have to disagree with the blowjob ghost. <laughs> well, they have... These are some of the arguments they have. And they get so passionate. And sometimes they're just off the wall. Sometimes they're really great ones. I think the best one was... And this was a 2v2. We were getting the final matchup. Was oh, wait, 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 wait. Does it have to be a movie ghost? Can it be a TV ghost? No, it's limited to movies. They used to do TV fights, but it Oh, all right. And, you know, the other one was name the best, uh, or what's the worst place to stay in a horror movie? And someone, you know, said the Overlook Hotel from The Shining. And his yeah. argument was, you know, you got blowjob bear. It's, it's, it's like the opposite of blowjob ghost. It's a bear that gives blowjobs. And that just doesn't end well for anybody. And they got derailed arguing whether it was a bear or a dog. Oh. Ah. Uh, gross. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm kind of like, wrong. Uh, one of the best, like, and they, they're shutout questions. Like, one of the biggest ones that's gone down in history was uh, Kevin Smith was on. And, you know, what is a movie that should be erased from history? And he, and he said, Triumph of the Wills. And everyone like, okay, how do we argue against that one? He's like, I know. I got you, motherfuckers. That's the... Uh, how do you argue that should be preserved? Hmm? That's the KKK one, isn't it? That's the one, that's the uh, Nazi propaganda one. Oh, no, the KKK one is Birth of a Nation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, they've remembered about like, their shutout fights. Uh, it was like, it's a real, it's an hour, it's like an hour long 
comes out every Thursday. It is hilarious. And it is so much of these conversations, we would have ridiculous things that, you know, you're arguing over that make no sense. Uh, most recently, some of the really good ones, like uh, this week's one was name a movie that came out this year that deserves Oscar nomination. It was between Hereditary, um, Sorry for Bothering You, and Black Panther. And it was a really great movie discussion of which of these movies deserves to be remembered and why. Yeah, Black Panther. Anyway, uh, I've been trying to think about favorite movie ghosts, and yeah, I, I can't really picture one because my mind went to Danny Phantom, who's only half ghost, but he's from a television show, not a movie, so it's cheating at eh, whatever. Well, you still, but the same thing is you'd have to argue, and I keep thinking to myself, they need to make this a party game because this would be a great party game. I feel like it is. You know, just like draw the that. thing out of the hat and go, okay, and you have an impassive judge, and no, again, Every Thursday, Screen Junkies, Movie Fights. It's awesome. Check it out. All right, Axel, we're running along. So what do you got for us? Uh, all right, my suggestion is very quick. It's Venom. I went and saw Venom this last weekend. Wretched came down to uh, to visit me. We both did a couple shots of rum before seeing it because <laughs> it's Sony, and we had absolutely low expectations. And uh, uh, Scarlett, my girlfriend, she, went, she drove us, you know, be responsible and stuff, and she was completely sober, and we all really enjoyed it. Now – is it a good movie? Eh, not really, but it's... Yeah, because we no one I've heard to likes it. And I've read the plot, and the plot sounds dumb, so I really want to hear why you're... Because it was funny. It was hilarious. We were quoting it for like an hour afterwards. Like, Venom himself is hilarious. And so I've is heard. Dumbart. Yeah, the actual plot, I, I feel like it's not any better or worse than, say, like the plot from Iron Man 1. Right? It's... It's oh that's hey a lot look more praise than people have been giving it. Yeah, well that's what I'm saying. It's like I feel like um there it might be getting crapped on too much. Like yeah, I'm not gonna say it's like a great movie, but Tom Hardy is great, Venom is great, and their their interaction like makes that movie hilarious. The villain is not terrible, he's just not great either. He's just there. Like I, I reserve that kind of like scorn for stuff that like actively pisses me off, say like Thor the Dark World, which is not only like boring, but um like actively makes me angry. Like the, the I villain like Thor and the, the Dark World. <laughs> more power to you, but I think Venom is better than that, for instance. Oh better, better than the Incredible Hulk. So. Now you make me think I gotta watch it to see because this would be a movie fight. We'd argue what is worse, Venom or you know, Thor the Dark World. Yeah, but I would say like, okay, um, I don't want to give away too much, especially because if you try to dissect the joke, then you know it will be dead. So but funny. to give you a, a little like basic example, there's a point where you know because Venom and and uh, Tom Hardy or Eddie Brock they talk to each other, right? And we can hear that. And there's a scene where they're like 50 stories up in this building that they had to break into, and they you know they leave, they do the thing they came to do, and then Eddie goes to like look out the window. And you just hear the Venom symbiote in his brain go, jump. And then it cuts to him like opening the elevator and walking in. And then you just hear Venom go, pussy. And like the fucking, the audience laughed quite a bit. It was, it was great. Like just shit like that. You know, it's, it's really funny. Ooh, I yeah. don't intend to see it because everything I know about it makes me think I'm going to hate this movie. But I, I'm not saying you, I'm not saying you will like it. I'm saying, so like the, the, the actual overall plot is a little too rushed. It, it has major pacing issues. The villain is bland. The love interest has very little, if not no chemistry with Tom Hardy. Um, but the stuff that makes it is all Venom and Tom Hardy, which is like after the first act, which admittedly is kind of slow, 
is most of the movie. But even the first act, like I've really got behind Eddie Brock. I, I attribute that to Tom Hardy's killer acting skills because like he really he makes a dumb decision early on in the movie that destroys his life. And I really felt for him. And I was like, yeah, I'm behind Eddie right now. So, which was enough for me to like to latch on to the main character to get me through the parts that were more dull. Huh. Well, I guess I, uh, I know it's getting a sequel. We made a lot of money. Critics hated uh, it. Audiences I, love it. I do hope that the um, sequel fix. I mean, there's a, a post credit scene that hints that a sequel will handle a lot of the problems that are in this movie. Now, here's what I'll say. I like to, when I talk about like a new movie coming out, I like to think about how much money to spend on it. I would say this is a like you know dollar theater movie. Like if you can see it on a big screen, yeah, sure, do that. Just go see it. Like you know, spend a dollar, go see it, have some popcorn. Like I'm not going to tell you to spend full price on it, but it was. I think it's worth seeing. It's worth spending your time to to see if you like it or not. All right, I <laughs> I got nothing to add. I'm just totally disinterested in this movie, and I know there was a bit of a Twitter stream on our feed that people started arguing back and forth because I made a joke about it. Really? Well, okay, for the record, for anyone who doesn't know, I think I've said before in the podcast, my most hated movie ever is The Amazing Spider-Man. So I have zero faith in Sony's ability. That's why I did like two shots of rum before going. Now, how much of my enjoyment was because I was buzzed? That's also possible. That's why I'm, I'm um, what, what's the word? I'm offering that up as like, hey, this is you know a note to keep in mind when I say all this. But, you know, Scarlett, she loved it. She was sober. And Wretched, literally at one point, we're about halfway in, or about half an hour in the movie, and Wretched leans over and goes, hey, are you enjoying this more than you thought? Because I am. And I was like, yeah. So. All right, well, there's our Venom review. Uh, thank you again for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe. YouTube hates its creators, so the more people that, you know, see this, it helps us grow and continue making this possible. And YouTube's terrible algorithm is why we have actually, like, verbally push this kind of stuff. I know Jim Sterling was mocking them about it in his video this last week, but the floating card is back after not working last week. So yeah, if you want to chat with us on social media, we got a Twitter and a Facebook and those are the the main places. I think we got a Facebook group looking into expanding at some point, but a lot going on in both of our adult lives. So, you know, but if you want to talk with us, that's how you do it. All right. As always, this has been Lord Commander Orc and his shield brother. Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable.